This is 508, a show about Worcester. It's August the 24th, 2018. I am Mike Benedetti, the co-host. And this is Brendan Mellican, the co-host. Hi, Brendan. How's it going, Mike? Good. Our camera's not working right now, so we got to, we have to say something, not just wave. And this is Brian Goslow, Worcester legend and baseball historian. Hi, Brian. Hey, Mike. Brian, how hey, are you Brendan. doing? Hey, Brendan. How's it going, Brian? Thank you for joining us. I got us. it right. I got your right name. You That's did. Okay. You did. People get us mixed up. Brian, I, I think it's I think it's obvious why you're on the show this week, because uh, the big the big news of this week and probably every week for years to come is uh, the uh, Red Sox AAA farm team moving to Worcester. And Worcester's sudden interest in urban studies. And Worcester's sudden interest in, in whether or not this makes any sense financially, how it's going to transform the city, and probably a resurgence of interest in the history of baseball in Worcester. Hopefully. Which we'll talk about We'll talk about soon. You know, there's a few other things to talk about this week, such as illegal driveways and gypsy moths. But, Brendan, I don't know if you know what the top story is this week. I don't. Tell me the top story. It's that somebody, a former Worcester postal worker, stole up to $82,000 in stamps. Do you know who that somebody was? A Holden man. Holden man, a former Worcester postal worker, stole up to eighty-two thousand dollars in stamps. Uh, he, I, I love Holden man. He, there's a plea agreement between him and the government, which would have him pay the eighty-two thousand dollars back, and he would get two years of probation as well as some fines potentially. And federal judge Timothy S. Hillman, my per- favorite federal judge, will not be bound by the plea agreement. And accepting Mr. Ford's guilty plea Thursday, he noted he could sentence him to 100 years in prison and levy fines of nearly $2 million on three counts of mail fraud, three counts of theft of government property, and one count of possession of government property with intent to convert. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things about that story that I found kind of amazing that uh, was the, the, the trafficking in these illicit stamps was being done via eBay. I, I really am curious as to who the folks are that were seeking out a great deal on stamps on eBay. I, it just was about a month ago that I had to buy a book of stamps. I actually just needed one stamp, but the only place I could find stamps, because it was past when post offices were open, sold them by the book. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I have now have I'm now the proud owner of a book minus one of stamps. Like, I, I don't know, like, who... Where's this marketplace, Mike? It's very... I mean, I don't know. It's very exciting. I feel like I learned something about the world reading, reading about that. Um... So let's talk about the Paw Sox, guys. Let's talk about the Worcester, the Worcester Red Sox. Brian, how you doing? Excellent. So um, last Friday they announced that officially this was going to happen. Brendan, I have not. So people keep saying, if you have an opinion about this, people keep saying, have you read the 70-page document of it? I can tell you I've read 10% of the 70-page document of it. Yeah. I found it very lucid, but also I realized about 10 pages in that I, there were lots of aspects I don't understand. Do you understand this deal? Uh, no, roughly. I'm not going to claim to be an expert in it. And it's one of those things that uh, you know, I was thrilled to hear on Tuesday that you know that was the first thing the council asked for is that it gets kicked back to the auditor's office. I'd go so far as to say, again, as someone who supports the overall package, I, I think it'd be nice if they found an external auditor um, to take a look at it as well, too. It's I've been fascinated just to hear how many economists are coming out and and I think in the right context, correctly pointing out that, you know, it's not like a giant money-making deal, like a money-making scheme. Like I think folks might believe for talking just the stadium, uh, th- that's one bucket of information that I think really does need to be teased out in a healthy way. But more to the point that without really understanding that bucket of, of ins and outs financially, it, it becomes impossible to make sense of the other stuff, which is the things that I'm really excited about too, right? Like 350 units of housing, two hotels, a uh, parking garage paid for by the state redevelopment of Kelly Square uh, mm. and an entire commercial retail and office uh, park sort of development package yes. as well. Yes. They're all dependent upon one another. But um, it's yeah, a lot, there's a lot that needs to be teased out and extrapolated, I think, for it to really be able to make sense to people. Because I think probably same opinion you have you, you gloss over like the fine points that uh, you don't need an economics de- degree to uh, understand. And it kind of does make sense. It, it does. Although, there, again, like there's... Uh the economists who've looked at it, I don't know how many of them have done a deep dive into the info. It does seem like the economists who are being interviewed about this close to universally say it's a bad a bad idea. But again, they may. The, I don't know whether these guys have spent as much time as the one economist who thinks it's a good idea reading the fine print. Yeah, no, and I mean, and it's so it, it's it's an interesting kind of conundrum too because the one economist who uh, thinks it's a great idea is also the one economist that the city paid to do the research uh, in advance to make sure that he was like a consultant. Right. But he's also the economist that is probably the most vocal and 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 opposed to. 
these sorts of projects, right? So in other circumstances. So there's again, fingers crossed, right? Like there's at least the possibility that unless this guy is trying to commit career suicide because this is all he does for a living is uh, practice and teach sports economics specifically to warn communities about this sort of thing, he's either trying to commit career suicide or as a consultant for the city of Worcester, ask actually tried to piece together a package that might actually make sense. And I think that's one of the things when you get into the weeds on what some of the economists who've been critical are saying. You know, the Boston, the Worcester Business Journal had a nice bulleted sort of list of, of, of their their arguments. They're all correct, but they're all things I actually want. Like it was talking about shifting revenues and dollars, right? So like you're not going to create uh, new money in Worcester because you've got a fixed population. It's not likely to grow that quickly. So you're just going to be taking money from elsewhere. But when you look at the landscape of, of Massachusetts or Worcester or, or the region, that's a good thing. I want to take money from Hudson. As a Worcester guy, I don't want money being spent in Shrewsbury. I want it being spent in Worcester. Yeah. I don't want, there, there's not a single community in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts that I would rather having dollars being spent. So like in, from that particular important bullet, yes, we're only going to shift dollars from elsewhere into my community where, where they have been bled from over the last 70 years due to urban decay. And I think when you go down the list, they, there's a lot of things like that. So, again, you're not going to make money off the stadium. Yeah, we know that. I don't think anyone that's really excited about the project thinks the stadium is going to bring suitcases full of cash to the city of Worcester. But, again, two hotels, uh, 350 uh, 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 residential units, and an entire development package. That is going to bring revenue into the city. That's where our tax dollars go to and come from to pay for things like schools, roads, uh, you know, uh, low-income housing, public safety, the things we all care about. So, yeah, there's... There's some really interesting stuff there that, Brian, I want to hear, hear what yes. you have to say. No, no, Michael, do you think we really need all these new hotel rooms? I mean, that would be my first red light because we've just gone through yeah. the period of getting us some new things. Mm-hmm. Are we going to be able to fill them? So funny, I, I that was one thing that I, I didn't even want to open my mouth about hotels because I was nervous along those lines as well. And I was reading a blog post from... The second most critical guy is a dude who's, uh, I think it's called Field of Dreams or Field of Broken Dreams or something. There's a guy, an economist who's written a book about, um, you know, sports stadiums specifically, and his focus is specifically minor league stadiums. He wrote a really nice blog post about this Worcester deal. And that was his whole point was, but when you get into the... it, it broke all the rules, right? Because the meat was in the comments section. Um, but you, you read his piece and you're like, yeah, I guess I'm going to have to waffle a bit on this. Like, this might not actually make sense. And he was using things like the hotels and whatnot. But then in the comments, the author kind of clarified that he was he was basically using the cookie cutter, his, his idea of what a New England post-industrial mill town looks like. So it was actually a commenter who said, dude, you're questioning the viability of hotels and them not being used. Worcester is currently at a 77% occupancy rate for hotels. You're at over 70%. That means you need more hotels. You don't wait for the other 20% to get filled. You start building new hotels now. So, and even the author doubled down, you know, backed up a bit and said, okay, that might be something I'm not totally aware of. And then got under the weeds and all the other bullet points that I think other economists have been talking about that a lot of us locally would say, yeah, but those are good things. I, again, I, I know you're saying that this money isn't just going to, it's not, not a magic money tree. The money is going to come from elsewhere. It's going to come from Providence. It's going to come from Hartford. It's going to come from Boston, maybe. It's going to come from other communities. They're actually looking to attract people from Vermont, New Hampshire. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of surprised how far the circle that goes around this franchise is, because it's the same circle that Worcester, uh, my whole 61 years of my life, we couldn't have a team because Pawtucket had a 38-mile radio exclusivity zone, and things have changed, you know, over the years, what their territory is as a AAA club. And, I mean, they're really looking for, like, people coming one and two our drives to Worcester, yeah. you know, for this, maybe for one or two things, which then uh, talking yesterday, which leads to the question of what are the kind of attractions that, you know, someone comes in, say, for mm-hmm. two or three game series that, you know, we know the art museum's great. Yep. Uh, we know you could probably send them to enjoy a day in the canal district between mm-hmm. shopping and eating. And if they get a third day, you know, where where does that go? I would say ice cream. Ice cream. You should probably stop and get really good ice cream. But... Yeah, no, and I, I think that's where – So, and it's also – I think we all kind of have a bad habit, not just with this project, but with everything, looking at uh, individual pieces of a city that is evolving. We're not going to use the word renaissance. We're going to stay away from sports puns. But um, that you – know, like uh, Alan Fletcher's project down in, uh, in Kelly Square, you know, that marketplace down there – 
when he first announced it year year and a half ago or started started talking about it it might have seemed like something you'd say well is that really the right spot is that actually going to work are, are we going to lose more by taking away the parking from the successful businesses down there but now after this deal is announced now you have essentially Quincy Marketplace Faneuil Hall built right outside of a new baseball stadium and it is just yeah. one more piece of a bigger puzzle that it's I think it's a perfect location it makes now it's a perfect location it was only a couple months ago that you you would be you'd be fair in questioning whether or not it was the right location yeah now it's alan fletcher appears to be the smartest most uh forward-thinking human being on the planet yeah the thing in going through the uh report you know that jumped out at me was actually you know where alan's mm-hmm. you know residency is yes. you know and where you know the lines we have been told for the property was washington street right. you know and then it, you know it's now moving you know closer to some of the planning for events mm-hmm. closer to green street itself which then in walking through the area see you know there's a fair amount of you know pr- extra property taking you know that will have to be done and then i think you know if you look, say, behind where uh, the Cove Lucky Dock, you know, area is, I mean, one of those roads kind of goes right through where the building is. So, yeah. you, you know, we begin having this discussion, you know, how does it affect and what are we giving up, you know, in this, you know, process? Completely. I, we had talked a couple of days ago, Brian, and you mentioned, like, the there's two, at least two ambulance companies back there that, um, you know, have, have great businesses, but it makes sense because their, their stations are sort of out of the way. Uh, I took a walk through this morning after running some errands, and yeah, there's there are some weird lines there, and it's it's hard to tell whether or not when you look at like the overlay that Mike has in front of them, and you start looking at where the red line is, uh, is it just because did they put it there because that's where the street was and that was the easiest line of demarcation to to hit it in Photoshop and put a red line there, or is is there actually that red line like bleeding into to existing buildings? And I think part of that was started to. Um, Come into a little bit of clarity, anyways, this week when the WRA announced that they're going to be, or the, the um, Redevelopment Authority started announcing that they're going to be involved with the project too, and it fits into their downtown planning scheme, which at least opens the potential that if anyone, any property needs to be taken, that's the entity that would be doing it. There's, there's going to be an ERP, a urban revitalization plan, mm. as a result of this. Oh, you ready? Hey, all you juggalos, libertarians, eclectic changemakers, and passionate Worcesterites. This is The 508 Show. We'll be back after these messages. It's an ordinary day in Worcester, Massachusetts. But wait. Look, down on the ground. It's it's a a germ. germ. It's a worm. It's 508. Bursting from From the the subterranean subterranean depths of Wormtown like the mighty mighty shy halud. It's 508, a show about Worcester. Worcester. Brian Goslow, you're like an expert on baseball in Worcester, right? I mean, let's. I want to talk about your credentials before we continue. Okay, He's uh, credential. I checked them in advance. Okay, uh, I spent uh, a good part of my life researching the Worcester Worcesters, uh, Worcesters National League baseball team from 1880 to 1882 that played uh, at the Worcester County Agricultural Fairgrounds, uh, centered these days uh, on the Worcester campus of Becker College. Uh, at the time, the borders were Seva Street, Highland Street. Agricultural Street, which is now uh, known as Russell Street and Cedar Street, and uh, it was a horse track. They, and the baseball field was inside the horse track, where they also did uh, animal dragging uh, auctions. So if you wanted to see how far the uh, oxen could go dragging your farm, you know, you did it. And uh, being the 1880s, they didn't have machinery then, so. You know, after the auction, they played ball, and you had these big holes in the field. And <laughs> so, and so, so the the Worcester Worcesters are famous for two things, probably. One is for having the name that sounds like they spent the least time thinking it up. Actually, and, th- uh, three things. Oh uh, well, and the, I was going to say the second thing is for playing the first perfect game in professional baseball. First perfect game in history was pitched in Worcester by uh, Jay Lee Richmond, who the previous night at 4 a.m. was. Drunk off his behind, rolling down hills in Providence. <laughs> uh, he barely got up in the early afternoon, hopped a train to Union Station and then a trolley uh, to the fairgrounds and then pitched the first perfect game against Cleveland on June 12th, uh, 1880. And Worcester was really lucky in this one because the next day, a uh, Buffalo pitcher also pitched a perfect game. Oh. But our third uh, thing in history, yes. which we just lost, was we had the lowest attendance in baseball history at, <laughs> at 18 for uh, 
one of the final games when the team lost its franchise of, of major league 18, baseball of major league baseball and we lost it to baltimore <laughs> uh after the riots a few years ago because they decided they wouldn't allow anyone into camden yards for the game now I, I think with 18 people, I mean, my feeling at the time was there's a lot of people, I think, who spent a lot of money, sponsors, season tickets, who probably had gone to every game in Camden Yards. So I refuse to believe they didn't allow People those didn't people, sneak in there. That, you know, they didn't have them up in the boxes. But for whatever reason, uh, especially now in a, in, in a world where social media works so well, I emailed all the writers for Baltimore, all the writers for the Chicago White Sox, to just say, can you tell me for sure that there's no one's, no one responded, you know, to this question, <laughs> you know, for, for whatever reason. So for, at least for the time being, uh, we lost officially, that. Officially. So uh, let me ask you. Um, but I'm going to answer your question. Oh, just, okay. I don't No, no, you asked my credentials, young man. Oh, your credentials. <laughs> Please go ahead. No, so I uh, first, I was at Worcester State Urban Studies major, so I did a a term paper on the Worcesters using research from the Cooperstown, uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame. Spent about two months going through every microfiche for five years down at uh, the Worcester Library. And then I did a follow-up for the Mass Historical Journal where I had to, we have to basically explain where every source of information, you know, came in. So I went down to the Philadelphia Library to uh, check out the rumors that Worcester had become the Phillies, which... It's more the league just said Worcester, get out of here. Troy, get out of here. New York and Philadelphia is a lot bigger. And uh, if you can find a good enough team to play, we'll give you some exhibition games in response, which never really happened. But uh, after I got the uh, thing in the Mass Historical Journey I, Journal, I packaged it up to the Baseball Hall of Fame as, as saying, you know, this is, you know, this is the definitive history. This, of this is the definitive history, and they sent me back a lifetime member of the National Baseball, and a nice little letter. And so if if you contact Cooperstown, they'll send you a copy of this. But I'll send it to you free if you send well, me an email. <laughs> and on, we should also mention that on the campus of Becker College, there's a, a monument to the first perfect game that has the mighty words of Brian Goslow engraved on it. And um, do you, I feel like this, this, speaking of things that baseball fans coming from out of town might visit in Worcester, Maybe that monument. They I definitely are, do. I bring all of my first-time guests to Worcester to see the Turtle Boy and to see that monument. And I believe that the uh, the owners of the Paw Sox are already on the case about a, a baseball history-related thing. Uh, they were in Worcester yesterday and at the Historical Museum, so they're already uh, they're looking to do something very special and unique, you know, as Worcester, you know, makes this entry. So the fact that they're already here, I think, is a good sign. This is one of the parts of this, what's happening now, that um, I find really, really interesting. So I'm not a big sports fan. Really couldn't care that much about um, about baseball as, as a whole. I've got some really good personal memories tied to the sport, but it was just never my jam, really. But I, I feel as though a lot of the folks, uh, when we're talking about the stadium construction, it's being painted in a way that it's almost like we're we're de- we're risking destroying some aspect of our of our local culture, our local history or whatnot. The reality is that there's a thread of narrative that starts w- basically with the point of origin with baseball that is very uniquely a Worcester story. And it's not just like the small anecdotes you were describing from like the perfect game. I mean, you go go forward a couple decades and you've got like the missing years with Babe Ruth in town uh, during Prohibition, you know, basically- You, you keep going off- Living mind. at the Hotel Vernon. It's, uh, there's, there, there is a history with this here in Worcester and it, it's an important history that I feel like we, we haven't, for whatever reason, continued telling those stories enough for people to, to really appreciate how, how deep and rich Worcester's connection with baseball as a sport is. And we do have to grab, because there's key parts of it with Boulevard Park, which is, you know, right where Max Steiner is. There's, you know, still some old Shrewsbury Street residents in the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. who will tell you about seeing Connie Mack there and, you know, or Babe Ruth or Ty Cobb. They don't have many years left, and yeah. you know it's a story that's got to be gathered before it's too late. I remember as a young kid, my great grandmother, who lived in Webster at the time, but was a Worcester uh, native, and um, she lived a very long life. The time frame that I'm describing now, she was probably in her late 90s, um, and I was probably around eight, nine, ten years old. Those are the stories that she would tell me. I mean, I would sit in her her parlor eating Lorna Dune cookies, like. 
because that's all great-grandmothers have. And um, she would just tell me these amazing stories about growing up in Worcester with all these baseball players that, from my perspective, they were just the names that were attached to Little League fields and whatnot. I couldn't wrap my head around the idea that they were her friends that she palled around with in Worcester and was part of her story. Rabbit Moranville, good friend of hers. (laughs) But it's a crazy thing to to realize that there is so much of, of, of the sports history that in a weird way does trace right back to Worcester, and it's another part of our narrative that I think we've discounted for not much good reason. You know, what, this the more that I've read about this deal, the more that I'm open to the idea that it's a terrible financially. I'm also open to the idea that I have no idea. Sure. But um, thinking about it coming to Worcester, I mean, you have this old, vacant industrial site, mm-hmm. and you have this city that has this storied history of baseball. And I'm sure a lot of medium-sized cities have a lot of baseball history, but especially with having the first perfect game here. I mean, come on. Everybody yeah. else is second place to that one. Um, you can only have the second perfect game exactly, at that point. Right? Exactly. We I mean, need to make a movie about that game. <laughs> and the second, I mean, the second perfect game, it, it's not perfect in the same way as the first perfect game. But um, So in, in those ways, like narr- narratively, it makes a lot of sense for baseball to come to Worcester. I think it does. And again, I'm saying that as somebody who doesn't really care that much about the sport. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think that that is one thing that I do uh, find very important is us as a city, uh, especially for the sake of folks that are moving to the city, really retaining some of that narrative uh, and making sure that even if they, even they're negatives, that we hold on to it and don't let it slide. And this is a, a couple chapters I think we have let slide a little bit. So what do you, uh, what do you not feel entirely about the? Um I mean, I, I think it's. I mean, I'm I'm open to the idea that there's a price point, or there's a there's a price at which it makes no sense for the city to be doing this deal. Yeah. I mean, if the city was spending a billion dollars, right. I think we can all, <laughs> all agree. And on the other hand, if the city spent five dollars, mm-hmm. I think even the most hardcore libertarian among us would say, you know what, for five bucks, this is not a bad, hedge that bet. A bad deal. Yeah. I mean, you know, we could lose five dollars. Doesn't work out. Maybe a little bit more yes. of the tips and everything. Um, the, I think my question is just like, is ninety to a hundred million dollars? I mean, in some sense, it makes sense. In some sense, it's like, how big do you want to decide what the deal is? You know, yeah. reading this morning, talking to people talking about how it's a $240 million, $250 million project to say, does the city want to kick in $90 bucks on a quarter billion dollar project? You know, you're like, well, that seems like, I don't know, you're getting, who knows? I mean, it depends on how the taxes work out. Sure. The, the, one of the, um, there's a good article in Commonwealth Magazine interviewing the economist that Worcester retained to talk about this. And the guy who presents the counterpoint, he says one of the things that Worcester is missing in their analysis is um, the cost of this development, like the cost, the ongoing cost mm-hmm. in terms of providing services to the 250 residential we are that are coming in, providing roads and whatever to the new construction yep. coming in, and saying that if you take that into account, probably this is a money loser. Yep. And that those costs are certainly things which definitely happen, yep. high in the sky or worst case scenario. Oh, no argument there. The only word, I mean, the worst case scenario, I guess, is that no, none of this happens. These apartments fall down, in which case you don't have so much cost. Yeah. But still, like... So, and this is where, again, I don't know that there is a, a real answer uh, or even a roadmap for some of the... Like, so we can say the same thing about Shrewsbury right now, right? I mean, you talk to any resident in Shrewsbury, they're now starting to have genuine concerns that it was probably a decade ago. They went a little bit too far on the residential side in terms of development, knowing that they'd essentially tapped out the commercial side. Okay. And to your point, that cost of services is now rising to the point where, oh, every year we're doing another override for our school budget because we can't actually afford those services within the you know 2.5% increase allowed yeah. uh, by state law sort of thing. So we're doing overrides. It's, um, there is, uh, how much time do we have? Um, we're ready to come back. Okay. I mean, that's an area where I don't think we have a good set of solutions to completely run level funded without the seesaw teetering like one way or the other. And that is a balance. You know, it's a, uh, of course there's going to be services and somebody has to pay for it. You know, Brendan, that, 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 put, that puts me in mind of one of my favorite poems. This is the water and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eye and dark within. This is the water and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eye and dark within. This is Brendan Malikin, and this is Mike Benedetti. Brian Goslow is the white of the eye and dark within. This is the 508 show. Um, 
Brent crude oil is $76 a barrel this week, up 6% on the week. And Bitcoin is $6,500 unchanged this week. Unchanged. There's your commodities news. Uh, we were just talking more about baseball. Brian Goslow. Where are we time-wise? Just as uh, oh, we're like oh, okay. We, this show. Uh, no, I, you know, as we're talking about mm-hmm. the future, I just think it's also good to mention his, all the things that are happening in Worcester this this week. Yeah, uh, you know, it's just a sign of you know what we've got already. Mm-hmm. So stick with the baseball for now, or just sure. a, a shout out to the weekend. What's what what good stuff is going on in baseball this week? Well, not necessarily baseball, oh, okay. but I think you know your punk cake happening at a. Ralph's, you know, which has a whole bunch of bands and a lot mm-hmm. of artists. Uh, the Caribbean American Festival, you know, parading down to Institute Park on Sunday. One of the most uh, amazing events. I, I think another sign of, you know, really of Worcester's renaissance. Yeah. I, I used to travel to England for, you know, like their Labor Day weekend for Bank Holiday weekend for uh, their festival, the Notting Hill Gate Carnival. And now, you know, it's... Four or five blocks away from my house. I think, you know, we're really, really, (laughs) you know, lucky with that. And then, uh, you know, on LaGrange Street, you've got the, uh, you know, all the artists that are showing at the Craft Center right Mm -hmm. now. uh, You know, Don Hartman and Rob uh, Sandegata and Louis Freire and Mm -hmm. Scott Boyelard, their band is going to be, you know, playing over there. And uh, Pow Wow Worcester is having, putting their products on display over at Wormtown on uh, Sunday afternoon as well. So You you too can have a slime green Pow Wow Worcester hat. There you go. (laughs) The big powwow thing, the big powwow festival is coming up, Brendan. Yeah, it's starting uh, basically rolling right into uh, Labor Day weekend. Yeah, that's very exciting. Are we talking about it on next week's show or this week's show? Well, we can talk about it next week. We can okay, talk we'll about talk about week. it. We can talk about it whenever you want, Mike. No, I, I just you know it's important mentioning you know these things because they have made Worcester appealing. Yeah, uh, I, we yeah. forget that everything that's gone up before the announcement uh, one week ago. You know, is because uh, a lot of people brought their dreams, you know, to Worcester, and people who are in Worcester spend a lot of time in, uh, you know, first Jed Shrewsbury Street becoming Restaurant Row, and uh, you know, the the Abbey and Dead Horse down in Main Street, the rejuvenation in the Canal District. If these places weren't there because of the people who brought their uh, hard-earned money and ideas to the city, and uh, not only went for it, but have you know established themselves. Uh, that's why we're having this team here, you know, the talk of the team here, too, because of the efforts of, you know, so many people to make Worcester uh, so much more than it's been for a long, long time. You know, it's Mike, here, I'm going to I'm, I'm get a little nostalgic for you for a second. Oh, so I've known Brian for about 20 years now, right? And when we first met, I was he was one of those people that I would look at as a, as a salty young kid who knew everything and be like, well, where's this guy coming from? His perspective on everything doesn't make any sense to me, right? And then it's one of those things you get a little bit older and you realize that, like, that perspective is, in fact, everything. Brian Gosler was right. You know, well, it's, it, but, you know, it's not, a, it's not a matter of being right. It's a matter of actually just ha- knowing where you stand in the universe and realizing that things came before you and things will come after you and whatnot. Yes. And, and we are in a really cool moment in Worcester right now where there are things happening on a regular basis that we have the luxury of taking for granted now that like when you and I first met you would never dream of these things being a regular occurrence that you could take for granted in the same way that the things that we were just starting to see when we first met were things that were very much put into motion by the, the cats that were my age when we first met uh, that you know got the ball rolling on stuff and I, I do feel that Again, that's part of like that narrative that gets lost a lot in the city. It's really, really easy to look at the right now and not realize how far we've come over the last 10, 20 years in terms of fixing lots of nagging problems that have made it really difficult to move the ball forward in Worcester. I just did another uh, last sports night pun, was a, but... a perfect example of it. You know, on the common mm-hmm. where I like, you know, see, you know, you walking around, but normally when things were going on in Worcester, you saw the same group of people at every yeah. event. Everyone supported, you know, as much as they can. But last night you had, you know, a couple hundred people, you know, downtown, you know, climbing, you know, climbing this mountain, or you actually had people roller skating, yeah. you know, on the Worcester Common Oval, families and kids just, you know, having the greatest. They're going to remember that night yeah. for the rest of their life. And what impressed me was, other than seeing, you know, you walking through, 
I didn't know a single person there, and it Nobody. was just so great. This was a sign of yeah. I did not. There, there was not a single person on roller skates that I knew that I, that I had ever laid laid eyes on before. You know, mountains of families with kids on a rock climbing wall. I'd never seen any of any of those folks before. And that's on a common that only a couple of years ago we would pretty publicly joke and say that nobody would ever want to hang out in the common, right? And then it was a couple of years ago that we started doing small things like showing movies on the common. And uh, after the redevelopment down there was done, and suddenly the crowd started coming. And it's it's so easy to forget that there was a time that yeah that was a no man's land down there. And it's uh, there was also a time go back 15 years further, and it was like all of our playgrounds and whatnot. And there were still crappy things happening, but we ignored it, and we came in from all corners of the city to to enjoy it. And we're Seeing fathers and sons and daughters playing wiffle ball, yeah. you know, on the side of the common, yes, it was just one of the greatest sights I've seen. Because again, I go back growing up. My only memory, you know, of my mother and dad together was bringing me over the stone that goes along Boynton Street down to Institute Park for one of the concerts on a Sunday night, you know, bouncing Mm -hmm. me, you know, up and down that. And there were just so many families, you know, that weren't, you know, part of the groups, you know, that we've all been a part of. It's just families, kids just want something to, you know, bring their daughters, to bring their sons to instead of just, you know, having to stay in the house or watch. They are going to remember that Worcester yeah. as long as they live. And those kids are going to, you know, hopefully 20 years from now, they're going to want to make sure that that's going on the common the same way we, each of us brought our own individual, you know, ideas out Couldn't there. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. You know, I want to change the subject slightly. I just want, Brendan, I want to try this out on you because I haven't told, said this to you yet. Uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot, of, again, about like this, this plan, this economic plan of bringing the team to Worcester, whether or not it makes sense. You know, it seems like it's basically a done deal and that it would take a huge political effort to oppose it. Um, I've been thinking of how to argue this to the opponents of it, in part so that they just feel better about mm-hmm. life. That they're like, okay, this this bad thing I th- saw on the horizon is not going to be a bad thing. It's going to be probably a good thing. I've been thinking about the libertarian argument for this. And uh, some one of my friends described this as the drunken sailor argument. And here's kind of how it goes. This, this is inspired by seeing so many comments and articles from other cities of economists and people like this saying, how could how could a city do anything so stupid as this deal? And my response is like, if you think this is stupid, you don't know anything about Worcester. <laughs> Worcester is capable of so many more dumb things than this. So the drunken sailor argument is kind of like the drunken sailor, he has shore leave. He has, whatever, 50 bucks in his pocket. Should he just spend that money getting more wasted and pass out in the gutter covered in vomit? Maybe he should, actually, because then at least he's run out of money. There's many worse alternatives he could do with that 50 bucks. He could buy a sack of rattlesnakes. Mm-hmm. He could contract some sort of terrible STD. Uh, you know, He could get involved in some sort of betting on some kind of Russian roulette game. So from the drunken sailor perspective, it's like if we think of the city of Worcester as a drunken sailor, is this the worst thing that we could do with like $100 million of bonds and whatever? It's definitely not the worst thing. We could set it on fire, you know, in a big pile. Uh, we could build a giant statue of Gary Rosen, mm-hmm. which is would actually be pretty close to the stadium, in my opinion, as being a good thing, but not as good as the stadium. There's so many dumber things. We could just get sued for $100 million because we passed some dumb ordinance outlawing bees or whatever. Like, this is the kind of stuff we just do as a matter of course. So my argument would be that assuming that the political dynamics are such that spending this $100 million forces the council and the city administration to be much more cautious over the next 10 to 20 years, Mm -hmm. that maybe that by itself, if it prevents $90 million of stupidity Mm -hmm. over the next generation, because people are looking at them more closely and because people are wagging their finger more and saying, we gave you $100 million already, we're not giving you another $10 million for this, Mm -hmm. show me that that $100 million makes sense. If that's politically how it works out, then this is a great deal. No matter how bad the actual mechanics of it are, it's a great deal compared to the alternatives. It's you know the Globe s- said that's how we got the Red Sox was because Pawtucket gave Kurt Schilling all the millions for yeah. his for his company that and basically it just collapsed. That is why they weren't willing to give baseball you know anything tied to baseball anymore. They got burned. Yeah, they, no, they, they got burned I, I really that's, well. That's it. I mean, 38 Studios is the argument. It's the argument that you're making, Mike. It's that you, you have uh, you're going to have a level of oversight on everything that happens uh, within the administration at City Hall. 
that has not been seen probably since uh, the the Centrum was built, now the DCU Center. We haven't had that many, I mean, we haven't had really a lot of big capital development projects that were tied so intimately to the city that it really started, required a kickstarting uh, from the city. So like if the, the mall, the Centrum, and now this, from my perspective, would be the big three that we've had that have been, you know, a municipal bonding uh, package. And, and you've got at least a generation in between each one of those. You know, it, there's something to be said for the sort of divisiveness that, that comes with within a community uh, from that, and then the amount of forced oversight that goes into play as well, because nobody wants egg on, the, on their face when it comes to a spending package that big. I like this idea. How many more minutes do we have? We have some. We have a ton of more minutes. We have a ton of more minutes. I don't think any of the uh, local businesses, you know, starting with Polar, mm-hmm. who's uh, you know purchased the name of the park, would be making these investments just as oh, I want to have baseball here. I, you know, they've got a pretty major investment that they've, you know, gone through as well that they're seeing in this. And I, I don't an awful lot. And, you know, we had the benefit of, you know, right. having talked. When I listened to you two last week, and this is why I really wanted to just, you know, join in. And I think, you know, you, you said you were, you had a lot of questions at, 145 last week before mm-hmm. the meeting came on and then as you went in a lot of the things that were addressed and announced suggest you know that the city's done a lot more due diligence and uh, I think research that I think goes into a lot of things but I, I don't think they made this announcement until almost all the questions you know other than the unknown of what's underneath the property the stadium and the you know hotel would go in is right. under there I think they've really looked to answer all those questions and have a, at least already anticipating question one, question two, and question three. You know, I, they really, this report is really well written, the 70-page report, and that sort of already preemptively um, goes after my biggest uh, objection to this, or the one that I would have picked up. If this report was ba- badly written, I would have said, well, like, how do they even know what they're doing? But no, the report's well written. Although there is a line in here or there's a, a paragraph in here that I feel like should give us pause, Brenda Milliken. Hit me. Per the LOI, what is LOI? Letter, per the letter of intent, the relocated team name shall include Worcester, and the ballpark identifying signs and signs branding the ballpark shall feature the word Worcester. The ballpark will be designated to incorporate the unique characteristics of the Canal District and Worcester as a whole. And then the next paragraph, the ballpark will look, feel, and be Worcester, underlined. <laughs> Do we really want it to look and feel Worcester? I think we're kind of going the opposite. Larry Lucchino <laughs> add, added, and smell like Worcester. That was <laughs> but you know what I think is actually in – yes, that we can laugh at that, and we should laugh at that. But I think there's something in there, and I didn't really even notice it until Brian mentioned it to me while we were talking last week. You look at even the rough mock-up that they have, and, and yes, folks, we understand that there's not going to be giant billboards that say signage on them. That oh, isn't the, the mock-up's intent. hilarious. But, the, but if you look at the general vibe of the mock-up, it does actually kind of look like a small Fenway Park. And I think that's the important takeaway here, is that we've just gone through a round of development in Worcester, predominantly hotels and residences downtown, that I think anybody should be able to look at and say, that doesn't really fit the uh, characteristics and the architecture of an old New England uh, city, right? Like, their aluminum panels and what have you. Fenway Park is one of those things that, like, you can't ever get rid of Fenway Park. You're going to have to keep bringing in the the old masons to keep uh, repointing the brick because... It is Boston, right? Like Boston looks looked like uh, Fenway Park when it was built, and it continues to look, at least that area, like Fenway Park because it's just such a massive thing. I think we've got a, a really interesting opportunity to build a stadium that does fit uh, the the kind of ar- architectural charm that anyone that's from like the West Coast and comes to New England New England for the first time and their you know their jaws hit the ground first because we have basements um, and they can't understand why we have holes in the we build our houses over holes in the ground but then too because there's just this novelty to materials that you don't see in other parts of the country that actually makes sense you know like a nice Flemish bond Mike not nobody appreciates the nice Flemish bond when it comes to to brickwork anymore and, what are you talking about oh, Flemish bond is the way you take bricks, so they're like sort of askew, and they they, cent, they center over each other. That's okay. the what it's, that's right. the reason why our brick buildings last so long. This is 508 Worcester's Libertarian Voice. We'll be back in a minute with more. You kidding me? You've never heard of the Flemish bond before? I don't know anything about bricks. So yeah, it's like when you look at what makes our brickwork kind of cool, as opposed to just like a, a facade put up by somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. 
it's that weird overlay where it's like they they center the, the bricks center themselves over the center of each brick so it's like you know the picture of brick is here and then the next two you have one brick here the next two are here and here and the way that they're stacked gives a level of structural support that uh, basically allows them to stand indefinitely i mean that that uh the front of the house on Highland Street there that they've been building the wall for three months. Yeah. That should be the best wall ever. That right? should be the best wall ever. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, so our architecture actually lasts and it's uh, it's designed to last. And I think that's something telling about their intent with the stadium, that if, if we if we build a stadium that fits our architecture, isn't just a steel and aluminum building, uh, it should actually last. I would say that that's one thing I liked about that architectural rendering is that it not only did it look nice, but it also looked like the parts of it that were buildings that are already there mm -hmm. looked like the buildings that are already there. Yeah. And so you could understand how it fit in there. I co contrasted it in my mind with a slot parlor that they were going to put in the same area where not only was it an ugly building in the rendering, but the rendering looked super fakey. And yeah. I think we're used to seeing renderings look super fakey. So there's always like a popcorn vendor and a kid with a balloon mm -hmm. and everything's shiny and the lighting is weird and you're like this is you know the, the lighting never looks like this in Worcester um this looked like a drawing of something that could have been in Worcester and it looked it, it made sense it yeah. made sense so uh you threw something out there that I hadn't given any thought to but gave me pause um you mentioned a statue of Gary Rosen as being something we could waste money on I'm going to guess that there's going to be outside the stadium probably a statue of somebody like a Babe Ruth or, you know, a pitcher through the first perfect game. Last week, we had a lot of success, uh, actually, like within seconds, success in getting the correct uh, Wu Sox logo made, uh, repurposing the Wu-Tang Clan logo. I think what we need to do now, and this is a little bit more longer term, we don't expect anyone to answer us in the next couple minutes. We need some artists who have networks within the bronze casting universe, because it's a pretty oh, small universe. Right. And when that Babe Ruth statue, that 20-foot-tall Babe Ruth statue gets commissioned for outside the park, we need to make sure it's actually Gary Rosen's face on that statue. We need to make, like, a mask that fits exactly under that Babe Ruth face. It's a Gary Rosen face. We can kind of pop it on there. People would never even... I just think when the sheet comes down, everyone's expecting Babe Ruth, and it's actually a 20-foot-tall Gary Rosen in a Red Sox uniform. We're ready to come back. Al. No, we're not out, out are the lights out all, and over each quivering form, the curtain of funeral pall comes down with the rush of a storm. And the angels all pallid and wan, uprising, unveiling a firm, that the play is the tragedy man, and its hero, the conqueror, Worm. This live from the hidden depths of Wormtown. This is Five Weight, a show about Worcester, with proud Wormtown resident Brendan Mellican, proud Wormtown resident Brian Goslow, and proud Wormtown resident Mike Benedetti. Do you guys want to talk about baseball more, or do you want to talk about other things on the city council agenda this week? What else you got? I'd like to hear some. What else uh, is happening in the city? Uh, sure, I can tell you what's going on. What's going on with the agenda? Uh, we got a little zoning thing. We got some boards and commission stuff going on. I'll read the boards and commission stuff. Carl Foley will re be appointed to the Worcester Airport Advisory Committee. Francis Langille and Chimoza Nosike will be appointed to the Elder Affairs. Azal Khaled will be appointed and Christian Escobar reappointed to the Conservation Commission. Jordan Berg Powers, who I know, will be re will be appointed to the Zoning Board of Appeals. Brendan, how do you like how do you like them apples? The council will vote on whether or not to reappoint Amanda Gregoire to the Advisory Committee on the Status of Women. I assume they reappointed her, but I didn't pay attention. Uh, we got some privatization. They they have a, a they have an item on there approving some of the powwow stuff. Um, the council appro approved another seven million dollar part of the Blackstone River Bikeway. This is a chunk along McGrath Boulevard. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, some more some more sort of petty stuff around marijuana in Worcester. Uh, an item that I would t title seriously: Stop making your own driveway. Don't make me come over there. The city administration is coming up with an ordinance that will stop people making their own driveway, thus chunking away chunks of street parking or causing conflict between street parkers and the rogue driveways they are blocking. Here's a letter about this from John Kelly, Commissioner of Inspectional Services. I'm going to read this, and you can interrupt me whenever you get bored. Currently, the city of I already got through three words. Currently, the city of Worcester zoning ordinance restricts parking within the minimum front 
yard or exterior side yard setbacks in residential zoning districts, but does not include any regulations that prevent parking within the front yard areas that are beyond the minimum setbacks. For example, the minimum front yard setback in the RL7 zone is 20 feet, but if a house is sited further back from the property line, parking would be allowed between the house and the front setback line. Further, there are no regulations concerning the amount or arrangement of parking in front of a residential property. An additional consideration is that the current zoning ordinance does not currently limit the amount of paving or impervious service. Imper- I'm bored, Mike. Uh, anyway, I mean, like basically they're saying we need an ordinance, but in part it's because people can already, as long as you're not within 20 feet of the curb, you can already park. My sense is that this is a bunch of, about a bunch of people parking within 20 feet of the curb. You know, this... I don't know. Yeah, no, I get it. We we talked to Gary about this one, and and I sympathize with the uh, the desire to not have people just having their own amateur construction projects in front of their house. But you know what? People are going to park wherever the heck they want to, and you're not going to stop them. You're just going to have one more ordinance in the same way that you know people have chickens everywhere, and we, we did nothing on that front too. We still get apiaries everywhere. If you think Gary Rosen's not going to be able to stop them, you don't know Gary Rosen. <laughs> you haven't seen this. Yeah, you haven't seen him in his true bronze cast form. And they're approving, and they're approved this Woo Sox thing this week. They're having a couple of meetings. They're having one at Crompton Collective next week, and one in the council chambers. Yeah. Uh, so public meetings. Mm-hmm. And I guess the options are that the council can say do not do this. Mm-hmm. That it's it's unlikely, it's impossible that the council can say renegotiate any part of this because the negotiations are so complicated. Right. Um, so, and it seems unlikely the council is going to say don't do this. Like, besides Connie Luke's, I mean, a lot of the council just has said, have said things like, you know, we're really responsible people and we're really going to give an adult look to this. Yeah. But um, it seems like the only person so far who's been kind of grouchy about it has been Connie Luke's. I've heard a couple of people say that. Well, to be honest, I, you know, I've been carrying around with me a, uh, it's on my phone. Unfortunately, I can't pull it up because you're using it for the for camera work here, but... There's a great photograph of Councillor Luke's at the announcement. She was holding the bottom left corner of the giant watercolor, and Smiling it was the up a first storm. time I've seen her smile in 17 years. Oh, I'm that not saying that Connie is against this. I'm just saying like nobody's even slightly positioned themselves as being the the voice of skepticism, except right. for except for maybe Connie. Right. Over under on uh, the, the next week when the vote is whether to accept it or not, and that someone holds it up for a week. Do you think anyone would dare at this point? I, that's a tough one. Because that's a if, good question. Yeah, if, if if they're going to, they get better be willing to go all in. Because uh, yeah, slowing things down, I don't see there's there much of a political win there. Because I, I know you know talking you know with people the past week yeah. and uh, you know talking with Phil Palmieri who did an, an awful lot of work towards you know bringing baseball sure. into the community said the most important thing is. That shovel needs to go into the ground as soon as possible to keep the momentum going. Yeah. And that if it goes, you know, a month or two, you know, we lose that momentum. We possibly lose a few months that, you know, we can get start getting that ground turned over and getting things in place. Yeah. You know, we, we just got to get so, this baby done. No, and I, I think it's also keeping things moving because so this is the one of the things I've been torn with over the last week, right? You've got so many folks that are upset for any number of reasons there there actually isn't doesn't seem to be a lot of overlap in why people are upset it's there are small columns of there's know. a lot of reasons people could be upset totally are, yeah that's what yeah. i'm saying i'm not, not being dismissive of the upset i'm just saying it's not like one it's not like there's one uh cohesive thing like the, the stadium must be fuchsia like it, there's not like one thing that you can point to that people are upset for and there's also Don't give mike an idea there's also <laughs> a bit i think of uh of concern uh or anxiety around the type of financing package that's being used which you know it, it it somehow lends itself to the idea or conversations that, uh, like, City Manager Augustus has $100 million under his mattress, and he's deciding on our behalf how it will be spent. You know, the, the, even the, the the whole idea behind a municipal, municipal bond is a pretty complex financial instrument and whatnot. There's a lot that needs to be fleshed out and discussed. I'm concerned that the opportunity to stay good graces, goodwill, uh, and, and actually be negotiating in good faith with the Paw Sox and the International League we sour that before the folks who have legitimate concerns about other issues, pressing issues facing the city of Worcester, have the opportunity to step up and make significant and reasonable asks of the, 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 the two groups that we're about to start turning over significant amounts of resources to for their, their, their business venture, and it'll be a missed boat, right? So, like, if you're concerned about things like transportation, uh, school funding, or housing issues, any number of issues, right? Like, you got some really, really wealthy people 
are arguably the wealthiest sports management group in the world now that they bought, is it Liverpool United? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I mean, arguably the wealthiest sports management group in the world, hanging out right down the street. Like, they're probably down at Birch Tree right now just having coffee. And like, they're, I haven't seen any armed guards around them, or not many, right? Like, now's your opportunity to actually walk up to somebody who has billions upon billions of liquid capital and say, hey, maybe you could help us out on this front, and I'm not going to make that big of a stink about that thing you're going to do down the street. That people that people should be should be saying like we're yeah we're not going to hold this process up assuming you kick some money you know kick a little bit of money towards the schools kick a little money towards affordable housing just in good faith not like not not everyone get in line for a handout right it's not yeah. like the city winning the lottery but it is a negotiation and and, and a lot of the the, the intricacies have, have, are are done. But I think I have the sense there's got to be still room for, for for good people with good intent to be able to to look at this and say you know what there are some other things that need to be fixed here and they actually impact our bottom line as well so let's make sure we take care of these things in the process. And there is the positive aspect you know of sports teams which you know we've had so many you know, sports with teams the, with well with the, <laughs> yeah. no with the Railers you know with the Bravehearts where they've done programs with schools right uh, you know whether it's just coming up with the idea with hockey we're going to teach you math through going to practices and counting the goals Mm -hmm. but that makes a difference and when you move into something like the red sox who've got a history of reading programs and programs in schools uh, helping rehabilitate uh, fields at schools and you know regular city parks uh, throughout the boston area that's something that you know also comes along with having a team and their track records in doing those things is pretty strong sure sure what are you doing over there i'm Mike? just uh i'm just i just had to kill our stream our recording for a second that's too bad well in any case yeah i mean I, and i guess i know this is one of those things that uh people hate but uh realistically right it's uh your options are in, in if they're if they're binary nobody likes to sell out but buying in ain't always the worst thing in the world. You know, there's a lot of interesting stuff on this council agenda that is connected to this whole turbulence in Worcester. Um, uh, you know, we've got we have an art, we have an item on here about Councillor Rosen wanting to see another bike sharing operation come to Worcester, especially one that uses a docking system. We've got Councillor Miro Carlson asking about the city's administration about whether the diocese can actually sell the Our Lady of Mount Carmel parcel. The potential being that it was originally granted by, by the state, with the understanding they weren't going to sell it. Mm-hmm. We got an item on here where Councillor Bergman would like there to be a line on your property tax bill where you could donate money to a Worcester preservation fund. Mm. Uh, these are sort of like very interesting and smart things around changes in Worcester that seem a lot more interesting and smart than like things that were on this agenda five years ago. Last year. Yeah. Maybe even last year. No. Nope. Yeah. It feels like people are. It feels like people are rising to the occasion at least a little bit. Yeah. No. And and, and I I think that there just isn't room to be full of self doubt when it comes to. Uh, the city anymore, and I, I think that has now made its way well out of the realm of uh, well-intended people working in the city in various, uh, you know, community groups or in arts groups or whatnot. And it has finally penetrated into the administration in City Hall, where I think everyone always did have a great deal of pride, uh, but always were somewhat c- cynical or at least questioning the idea that we could make big leaps forward and not just stay in a very consistent trajectory. Those big leaps are kind of happening, and I think you know. The things you just rattled off, it's not like they're going to change the world. But over time, they have a significant impact. And, uh, yeah, they are very forward-thinking concepts that are being kicked around on a pretty regular basis in, in City Hall. Well, thanks, everybody in Worcester, for making the city cool. Thanks to Brian Gosler for making the city cool every day. Thanks also to Brendan Malikin. I'm going to try to make the city cool in the coming week. I'll see if I can figure it out. My name is Mike Benedetti. This is 508 on Unity Radio, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.